today. And so we're really glad that you're here with us. Uh, today's a great day to be here as we celebrate that. But today's also a great day because today is a day we start a new series. And um, we're glad that you're here to, for that. We're going to talk about love today. We're going to talk about God's love and how it's the most amazing love that any of us can ever know. But it's the first of a 10-week of a series we're going to be heading into. So if you're here for the first time and you like what you hear, or maybe you've been here before but you haven't been in a while, and, and you like what you hear and you want, you're kind of compelled by what's, what we're talking about, I would encourage you to come back and join us, continue joining us for this series as we learn more about this love that God gives us. And we're going to be talking each week about different gifts that God gives us because of this love. So over these next few weeks, we're going to be talking about joy and peace and kindness, gentleness, self-control, patience. I don't know if you, if you agree, but for me, those are all things we could use a little bit more of. Right? So we're going to be talking about that over these next few weeks. And so I just want to encourage you to just continue coming and enjoying and learning and growing in these elements as we go through them. So um, we're going to jump in today and talk about this great love. But let's pray and we'll get involved. Father God, I thank you so much for this time uh, that we can come together and celebrate you. Celebrate your love for us. And God, as we do so, I pray that we do so with open hearts and open minds. Um, God, that we would be open to the love that you have for us and that we would seek to grow in that love and to know you more completely. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. You know, I think the greatest thing that we want in life, if we're all honest, we, we get down to it with one another and have an honest conversation, we would agree that we want to be loved. That everybody wants to be loved. We want to be loved fully and completely for who we are. And that's probably the greatest search of humanity throughout history. All the greatest stories have an element of a love story in them, the search for love. Even today, all of the, there, there are more books and songs and movies written about the subject of love than any other subject there is. And yet, there's so many misunderstandings about love. There's so many imitations in love. Our social and cultural aspects have contributed to, to a lot of just confusion about what love really is. So much so that I think a lot of us settle for extremely cheap imitations of love. Um, we, we, we just kind of keep grasping at straws to, to be accepted or be... Um, to be liked or just to, to change who we are, just to have someone kind of be willing to, to be open to us. Some people just given up on the idea of love altogether and they've settled for the cheap imitations like power or control or wealth or to be desired or to be feared rather than the work of building true love. We've been conditioned in our society to believe that love is conditional. That love is a conditional thing. And as a result, we end up seeking to earn love based on things like physical appearance, based on accomplishments in life or our personality. And we desire someone to love us completely and fully. And yet, the reality is, is our love for others, is conditional. We 
are all flawed humans. Every one of us. And in our flaws, we fail. And in our flaws, we fall. And as a result, love has conditions in our own hearts. So as a result of all this, we spend our time seeking to be worthy. Seeking to be worthy of, God's, of, of people's love. And, and we spend a lot of time trying to find worth. I, um, one of my favorite movie scenes is a scene from uh, the classic movie Saving Private Ryan. And if you remember that movie, um, if you're under 35, you should go check out Saving Private Ryan. Um, <clears throat> um, but it's a classic movie, and uh, uh, in, that, in that movie, uh, Private Ryan is a uh, soldier that the military has decided they're going to bring home, and uh, they're going to bring him home to his mom because all of his brothers have been killed, and so they're going to bring him home to his mother, and, and in doing so, they, a lot of men risk their lives to bring him home. And in the final scene, the commanding officer is played by Tom Hanks, and Tom Hanks is dying while... Um, Private Ryan is, is looking at him, and they, they've, they've done it. He's, got, he's going to be going home. And, and Tom Hanks' character looks at him after all these guys have died to, to bring him home, and they've said, he says, earn it. Earn it. And it fades then to the uh, character of Private Ryan looking on as an old man at the memorial site of the soldiers. And he, and he bends down and he whispers, I hope that at least in your eyes I was good enough. I hope that I earned all that you did for me. And it was a very touching scene for many people because I think we can all relate to that desire to be worthy. That desire to, to think that people find us worthy. That we did something to be deserving of love, to be, to be worthy of the love that people might show us. Have you ever had someone ask you, why do you love me? You ever do that? You say, I love you. Why? Uh, I, I start to, uh, I, I, uh, um, you know, and, um, but, but I, have, I have five children, and all of my kids at some level, at some point, have asked me that. Dad, why do you love me? And so when they ask me that, I always say, hey, you know, there's this that I love about you, and I'll name some things about them. But then I say, but you need to know that even if you never did that, even if that's not who you were, even if you were in no way did these certain things that I might find enjoyable about you, I love you. Because I'm your dad. And as your dad, that, that's just who I am. I will never not love you. I, it, 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 it's just always going to be what I do. You will not be able to, to chase that love away. Because you see, what, we're at, what they're asking when they ask that, and when, what someone asks, is saying when they ask that question is, do I measure up? Do I measure up? Have I found value in your eyes? I worked with a lady um, a few years back, and we got to be friends, and we were talking um, about uh, why people do things. And in that conversation, she was one of these people that just would do anything for you, like little things. She just was great at taking care of little tasks. Like if she heard you say you needed something or something, she would go do it, and she'd have it done for you. Um, or if she saw you staying late and working, she would come jump in, and she'd just help for 10 minutes and, and get it done. Or if she was going to the store or uh, getting something to eat, you know, she'd always ask, is there anything I can get you? And she said, you know why I think I'm like that? 
And she said, when I was a kid, my dad never showed us any affection. He said he was, wasn't a cuddler, wouldn't hug us, never, hardly ever said I love you, didn't play with us, show us much attention. And she said, but I learned that on the weekends, he would love to sit in his chair in the afternoons and watch sports. And he liked snacks. And so I would, as, even as an eight-year-old girl, I would go in in the kitchen, I would make him snacks. And I would bring him <laughs> snacks because he would show me a little of attention. And she said, I found all of my value in that relationship in doing those little services for him. And she said, and in a lot, of, a lot of ways, my value as a person now today is shaped by that. That I find that that's what makes me worthy and what I, where I find value. And I thought, that's so sad. It's such, so great that she's that kind of person, but it's sad that she feels like she needs that to be worthy. But, you know, that's the message of this world, isn't it? Do these things and don't do these things and then I will love you. Right? You do the things I like enough and you don't do the things I don't like enough and, and, I'll, and I'll love you. We see it. Some of us have had families that were raised very much that way. You, know, you, you might have been raised in the kind of dysfunction of a family that very much just showed love and approval based on behavior. Or... We definitely see it from culture, right? We live in a culture nowadays that you, you, you can't even, you're, we're afraid to disagree with someone because if you disagree, oh, you don't love me. You don't support every single thing I believe and who I am and what I do and there, you don't support every single thing about me, you don't love me, you're a hater, right? That's, that's our culture. It's almost impossible to have a caring relationship with people anymore because it's contractual. It's all based on if you, you tick me off enough and I will cut you out. Right? We even learn it in religion. Right? Some of us grew up in religion that constantly taught God has this list. You do enough of the things on his list that he doesn't like, and you are, you're, you're not accepted. You do enough of the things on the list that he does like, thumbs up, you're in. Right? But see, none of those are a picture of love. None of those is what love is about. So this morning, I want to talk about what love is really about. Turn your Bibles to John, 1 John. 1 John, towards the very back of your Bible. 1 John chapter 10, I mean chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. If you got the Revelation, you passed it. <coughs> 1 John chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 9 and following. 1 John says this. It says... This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. Now think about this for a second. If God is the creator of all things, guess what God created? Love. In fact, John goes so far as to say that God is love. That that is who he is. That is the essence of him. So then it makes sense if we're going to truly understand what love is meant to be, 
that we would look at how God loves, right? Because how God loves it would, be, it would be what love is meant to be in its purest and most truest form. Because really the answer to God's love and what we should be seeking to be as people is love. We should be seeking to be loving as God is loving. We should seek to love as God loves. In fact, that's the vision statement of this church. As you walked in, you got a bulletin, and if you notice right at the very front, it says, give all the love all. That's our vision statement. That we would seek to be people that give everything of who we are to love everyone, to love God and others. Now, do we fail miserably? Absolutely. Why? Because we're a bunch of failing, flawed, messed up humans. And it's not a standard in which we are to look at each other and kind of go, hey, you know, I noticed that person over there isn't loving the way I think God is calling them to love. <laughs> you laugh. It, I see it. Um, it's called self-righteousness. Christians are great at it. Um, no, it's a standard in which we all look at ourselves and say, you know, God calls me to love. Am I seeking to be more like God calls me to be? And it's a stand in which we all should look at ourselves and look at our own hearts. But you see, to understand love, we got to look at what God says love is. In fact, to understand the cross at all, to understand what Jesus did on the cross, we have to understand love. It's impossible to understand the cross without understanding what God's love truly is. So, I'd like to talk about that. But let's, so to do that, I want to just kind of look at the, the whole meanings of, of love. In our culture, it's easy to see why we get misunderstood and confused about love. Because I could be having a conversation with you, and I could tell you how I love cheeseburgers over at the bowling alley, and I love rock music, and I love my new motorcycle, and I love my friends, and I love living in Hebrew, and I love my church, and I love my kids, and I love my wife, and I love God, and I could be talking about completely different things in all those sentences, can't I? Right? So it's confusing. We, we overuse the word love. We, we use it about everything so that, to the point that it means nothing. But you see, the Greeks in the New Testament, they understood that, so they actually had different words to mean different things. And when the Bible talks about love, when especially and specific to, to the love that God has for us, it's talking about the word agape love. So I want to talk to you about what is agape love? What is love as God defines it? What is love in its purest and truest form? Well, the first thing is agape love is unconditional. Love is unconditional. John 3, 16 and 17, probably the most famous passage in all the Bible, says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And verse 17 goes on to say, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see, Jesus came into this world to give the gift of salvation for all people. To give the gift of salvation for everyone. It wasn't just for the people he liked. It wasn't just for the people that agreed with him. Or for the people that had never wronged him, which would be nobody, by the way. It was for all people. He died for everyone. When he hung on that cross, he died 
for the people who yelled crucify at his trial. He hung on the cross for the men who nailed his wrists and his feet to the cross. He hung on the cross for the people that were standing down below hurling insults at him. He hung on the cross for the people that just stood idly by and did nothing. He hung on the cross for the prostitute as much as he did for the preacher. He hung on the cross for the homeless person as much as he did for the rich person. He hung on the cross for everyone. He loves everyone unconditionally. He loves you unconditionally. He loves you for who you are. See, his love isn't dependent upon reciprocation even. He just loves you. It's not dependent that you're going to love him the same way or, or as much even. He knows you're pretty much incapable of it. See, many relationships, they're so, like I said, they're so contractual more than they are caring. And we're being conditioned to learn that, that love is this contractual thing that when you love me as much as I feel like I deserve, then I will love you back. Versus simply loving. Agape love has no conditions, expectations, or stipulations. It's fully unconditional. The second thing about agape love is agape love is sacrificial. Agape love is sacrificial. It places the other person first in every situation. See, Jesus sacrificed on the cross, but it wasn't just physical. And you have to understand that. It wasn't just a physical sacrifice that Jesus made. A lot of times we think about the physical agony that Jesus went through on the cross, which is true. But he sacrificed so much more than that. First of all, he sacrificed his place in heaven simply by coming to earth and, and having to live in a mortal body. But then on top of that, when he went up to that cross... He sacrificed being one with the Father when he took on all of the sins of humanity. The Bible says in, first, in 2 Corinthians 5, it's chapter 5, not 2. I don't know if it says it wrong. Oh, we fixed it. I had it wrong first service. Chapter 5, verse 21, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. See, he took on all of our sin. Until that point, he knew no sin. But on the cross, he took that burden on for you and for me. He sacrificed to that point. The sacrifice of Christ was not based on the expectation of reciprocation. It was offered knowing that many would never acknowledge, appreciate, or accept that he sacrificed for them. But he made the sacrifice anyway. See, John says this is love that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God's sacrifice for you is not based on the expectation that you are going to pay him back someday. You could never pay him back. You could never sacrifice enough. Oftentimes when I do marriage counseling, I find that so much of marriage counseling comes down to this one concept of sacrifice. That I'm sitting with two people that both feel like they have sacrificed more than the other and the other person is not reciprocating back enough. So often in a relationship, that's what it comes down to. We get frustrated and upset and because we feel like I have given so much and you're not giving enough. 
And, and so as soon as we do that, we begin to feel justified in, in saying, I'm not going to sacrifice anymore until you sacrifice as much as I feel like I've sacrificed. And it's not just in marriage. We do it in so many relationships. What I always tell people in marriage relationships is I can fix this real quick. You, husband, start treating her like a princess every single day for the rest of her life. And ladies, you start treating him like a king every single day for the rest of his life. Meaning you're serving without any expectation of anything coming back. And as soon as we do that, nine-tenths of these problems will be gone. We need to learn to love sacrificially. That's what agape love is. Third, agape love is forgiving. Chances are we all have someone in our life at some point who withholds forgiveness from us. That's a painful thing to know that you have someone that won't forgive you. But chances are there are many of you as well that withhold forgiveness from someone. They are unwilling to forgive someone for something done against you. Either side of that coin is a burdensome coin. It is not what love is. And it's a freeing thing to know that you are completely and fully forgiven. Most people, most of us have a limit in which our forgiveness stops. Some of it's quicker than others. But God's forgiveness never ends. Not only does God forgive us when we're imperfect, he actually expects that we're going to be imperfect. He expects it. So much so that he had a plan to atone for it. He had a plan to cover it. I think that's a difficult thing for us to understand, especially if if we have a difficult time offering forgiveness. If you're someone who has a hard time offering forgiveness, it's probably hard to really comprehend and wrap your mind around God forgiving you that much. Because why? Why? We, we want mercy in our own lives, but we give judgment to others. See, we need to, we need to learn to love in a way that just expects that people are going to fail. It doesn't mean we cut them off because they fail. It doesn't mean that we cut them off because they're flawed. Why? Because so are you. Each of us is flawed. Each of us fails. Each of us as times when we let people down. So when we're in a relationship with someone, we should just trust. That's going to happen. And we should love them through it as God loves. But either way, that is how God loves you. Like it or not. Why? Why does God love you that much? Why did, you know, what, what's that? If we were searching to be worthy, what, what makes us worthy? Let me give you some reasons that are not why he loves you. He does not love you because you have it all together. He doesn't love you because you, you, he looks at you and goes, yeah, that's, she, they've got it just lined up. All their ducks are in a row. Now, the Bible says that, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still in all the mess of our lives, he loves us. He doesn't love you because you're the biggest or the best at anything. 
You know, he's not looking at you and going, man, you know what? I would love to have her on my team. She needs to be on my team. I, I love her for that, for just being so good at whatever it is she does. And as John already told us, he doesn't love you because you love him first. He doesn't love you because you've done something that's so pleasing to him that he just goes, oh, it touched my heart. He loves you simply because that is who he is. That is who he is. He is love. I heard it explained this way, and I'll just share it with you. I thought it was good. It's God's love equation. God's love equation. God's love equation is truth plus grace equals love. Truth plus grace equals love. What do I mean by that? Well, the truth is you're never going to be good enough. Right? We, and, and chances are most of us live our life feeling that way. Right? You don't need anyone to tell you that. Right? You, almost everyone in this room can go talk about how we feel like we're never either going to be smart enough or pretty enough or talented enough or have enough money or whatever it is. Why? We're flawed. We're not perfect. But here, here's more of the truth. The truth is that none of that matters. None of that matters. None of it factors into how much God loves you. Why? Because, as the song says it so beautifully, of his amazing grace. Because of his amazing grace. What's that song say? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I am a wretch, but that doesn't matter. God loves me. The truth is, I am a mess, and God loves me. See, what does grace say? Grace says, you may be weak. It's okay, because I'm strong. Grace says, you may fall down. That's okay. I'll pick you up. You're going to screw up. That's okay. Because I clean it up. It says, you're not good enough. But that's okay. Because I am. It says, you might think you have ruined your life. But that's okay. Because I am a master at making beauty out of messes. That's all that matters. Truth plus grace <clears throat> equals God's love. I want to wrap back around. And look at verse 11 again of John chapter, 1 John chapter 4. Because if that's what God's love looks like, and we can understand that he just loves us because that's who he is, what does that mean to us? What does that, how, how, does, how should that play out in our life? <clears throat> verse 11. It says this. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We also ought to love one another. You see, the natural response to God's love is to love. The natural response, when you know someone loves you that much, when you've truly come to a place where you acknowledge, accept, appreciate that God loves you, the natural response should simply be to love. That's really all he asks. That we would love him and love others. 
But in order to do that, it takes surrendering. It takes surrendering to his love. Because, see, in our mess, we're just not that good at it. 1 Corinthians 13, chapter, uh, chapter 13, verse 4 through 7, I think explains what love should look like in our lives in a great way. You've all heard this passage. If you've been to a wedding, you've probably heard this read. Uh, we use it oftentimes to talk about our love for one another in a marriage. But really, it's what our love should just look like. What, what God's love is and what it should look like for us. See, if we, once we come to that place where we acknowledge, accept, and appreciate God's love for us, we should be seeking through him to be like this. What does it say? It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not... Delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. You see, if God is love, we could take that, those phrases and literally insert God there, right? God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not boast. God is not proud. God is not rude. He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. God keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil, but he always rejoices with the truth. God always protects. God always hopes and trusts and always perseveres. But you see, now i got to look at myself. And I have to ask, could I put my name there? I read this last service with my name in it, and my wife literally laughed out loud. Could I say Shane is patient? Shane is kind? Could I say Shane does not envy? Shane does not boast? Shane is not proud? Shane is not rude? Shane is not self-seeking? See, that's, that's tough. And we put our name in there. But you see, it's not a matter of us on our own trying to be better at these things. The only way we're going to do that is if we surrender to his love. If we surrender to knowing that he loves us that much and as a result, having the natural response to love him as he loves you. And as you do that, there's the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit comes and begins to work those things in us. See, through the cross, Jesus showed us agape love, his unconditional, sacrificial, and forgiving agape love for us. But see, it's not just about the cross. Today on Easter, we actually, what we actually are celebrating is the victory and the hope of the resurrection. And through the resurrection, the Bible tells us that we have all that Christ has. That we are heirs in him. That we share in what he has and who he is. Romans 8 verse 11 says this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies 
through his spirit who dwells in you. See, today we can only know in part. We get glimpses of God's love. And we in ourselves, we, we, get, we love in glimpses of it. We, we love in part like he does. But one day we will know it fully if we surrender to him, if we trust his love. We will live eternally knowing fully the agape love of God. Right now, we see and understand glimpses, but we are going to spend our lives longing for that love. And one day, if we surrender, it will be revealed to us fully. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 10 through 13 tells us this. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. See, it's saying now we see glimpses of God's love. We see it in a mirror dimly, but someday we will see fully know God's love face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. See, God fully knows you right now and he fully loves you. Someday in eternity when we surrender to him, we will get to fully know him. We will get to fully know that love And we will fully represent that love. Verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide, but these three, but the greatest of these is love. People ask a lot what heaven's going to be like. And the reality is the Bible, it doesn't give us a lot of description on what it is. What tells us this, though? We will know God fully, and he will be fully revealed to us. I don't really care about all the details. All I know is I spend this whole life longing to be loved fully, to know love fully, and to be able to love fully. And if eternity means that I get to do that for eternity, I want more and more of it. And I can't wait. You have a God. You have a creator and a perfect father in heaven who loves you. His love is unconditional, sacrificial, and forgiving. And my prayer for each and every one of you is that you would recognize that, that you would accept it, acknowledge it, and appreciate it. And that ultimately you would surrender to that love so that day by day you might grow in his love, becoming more like him, and that one day in eternity you might know it completely and fully. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your eternal love. I thank you for a love that knows no ends. And God, sometimes it it is really easy for us to not see that. It's easy for us to get so wrapped up in the world's counterfeit versions of love and to forget just how great your love is. God, I pray that we would keep our eyes on you, that we would seek to become more and more the people that you want us to be so that we would more and more would experience this kind of love. And that ultimately, we would all have the hope of looking forward to one day being with you in eternity and knowing that love fully, fully experiencing what it means to be completely 
and fully loved. In your name we pray. Amen.